Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. The legend tour continues. I'm bringing you people you ain't even heard of yet. That's how cool this tour is getting right now. So right now I've got my friend and my buddy Jared uh, Hanning. Dude, did I say your name right or did I just screw it up like crazy? That's my name. Alright, cool. Jared is a cool dude. I got in touch with him, or he got in touch with me rather, about two weeks ago. Uh, we tried to get on the phone, we finally did. The guy was just a really good dude, and I was like, I've got to get this guy on my show. <laughs> so usually I just got to get him on. And we connected on so many levels, had such a great laugh, and um, a 15-minute call turned into a 30-minute phone call that turned into this podcast. So, without further ado, dude, welcome to the show. Yeah, happy to be here. No, I'm happy to have you. Just a real quick shout-out to our sponsors before we begin. This episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged is brought to you by StorySellingEmails.com. Go there, sign up, check out your email stuff. Um, also, the Copywriters Room podcast. Go to thecopywritersroom.com. I do 15-minute breakdowns of sales letters on video to show you how to actually apply them to your business. And also sponsored by Mindset performance.co so .co not .com or .co.uk it's a .co uh, check out the site that's Jared's he's got a bunch of cool tools on there including stuff about him uh, that you will find interesting as all hell I will tell you that right now he's really, really cool he's just a great guy hence we've got him on the show without blathering on any further dude welcome to the show and the madhouse haha thanks for having me good to be here Man, I'm glad to have you on here. So, really, just off the bat, I've got to ask. So, you do a lot of things. Like, you've been you're a licensed pilot, licensed home builder, licensed skydiving, uh, skydiver. You've split an arrow like Robin Hood style. You can juggle five. You've basically done a shitload of stuff in a really short space of time in what is essentially your life. My curiosity is, what wakes you up and brings you a lot of passion? Like, what gives you that energy? It's possible that what's driving that is just a love to learn and a challenge. Um, like every every year, I'm taking on a new challenge. I'm trying to find something new. Last year, it was learning how to do a backflip on a bicycle. Um, the year before that, it was learning how to split an arrow, Robin Hood style. Um, I don't know. I just I just love to learn new skills. See, that is really cool. So, like, what is so do you know what your next skill is for 2019 that you want to learn or no? Next skill for 2019, uh, hold on, hold on. You got this written down somewhere. Yes, I was uh, just working on that just the other day, as a matter of fact. Um, there we go. What will be next for 2019? Scuba. I'd, I'd like to get my scuba license. That is freaking awesome. See, I love the fact that you're like that because in my world, um, I'm getting my driver's license again, my biker's license, and my pilot's license all within a year. That's like okay. the plan is to get all done in one year, which would be a lot of fun to do, um, especially, you know, because fun stuff. But real quickly, like, I want to jump off that point more than anything, and it kind of all comes down to, if I remember correctly, just reading about you, is this idea that you essentially understand how performance uh, works in terms of like how to get your brain to work with you rather than against you because obviously you get a lot of anxiety when you have to quote unquote perform things but you have a way to get around that right uh are you referring to like stage fright that kind yeah, of yeah like mostly stage fright because that's where most people like stage fright is one level of um anxiety another is going in front of a video camera that has no one else there but you're going to have it on on like say your facebook live feed or something like that it's all oh, similar versions of that, so the anxiety. So how do you deal with that, and how do you coach people through that? 
All right, so performance anxiety, uh, the thing that bugs the heck out of me is um, people treat performance anxiety the same way that they talk to kids uh, about their emotions. What? So I don't know if you've ever seen a parent in the grocery store with their kids, um, or I should maybe say a really bad parent, right? The kid's upset, the kid's crying, and and the parent says, you cut that out or I'm going to give you a reason to cry. As if kids are these computers that can on and off an emotion rationally and logically. And then the parent, of course, punishes the kid because they're not computers, which just makes the situation even worse. Well, performance anxiety is the same thing. Your body is in an emotional state, not an intellectual state. Because it's an emotional state, that's why the advice that normally goes out about eat a banana or imagine the audience in their underwear or don't worry about it or it, you can't think your way out of an emotional state. You have to feel your way through it. And this is how you do that. So um, I guess a little bit of background there. Um, I am classically trained as a musician. I still play as a violist with the South Carolina Philharmonic. And um, for most of my musical career, I was terrified of playing solos. I was terrified of recitals and, and solos. and. Anytime I had to get up and play something. Now, this is the weirdest thing ever because you would think that a musician would love, cherish the opportunity to play a solo. This is, after all, their passion, and you'd think they would just love to share it with you. I was, man, I was just wigged out. I was, oh my gosh, I was a basket case. And it was such a problem because, um, well, because I was wired as a musician for one, so I couldn't put my instrument down. Like I had this mental illness that compelled me to practice and practice and practice and level up. And then when it came time to play, I would get sick. Um, I'd be shaking. Um, I'd want to, you know, run away. Um, I sounded so bad. And then I just wanted to sell my instrument and get out of the business entirely. So we have this horrible dynamic going. And, um, you know, I would try to push through it and muscle through it and just come willpower away by through it and think through it and it doesn't work. Okay, look, it just doesn't work. Let me show you what works. What works is taking on a bigger problem. A bigger problem. That's what works. So, for example, if in your finances you are frustrated because you need to put together $10,000 this month and you just can't seem to find it and so you're stressed out and you're wigging out, well, if you were trying to put together 100000 your brain would be thinking at a higher level. It would be coming up with different resources. 10000 would be no big deal. Um, let me give you um, kind of a background story that inspired me to try this technique out. Um, I did this. Um, when I, when I had the breakthrough that re finally realized what worked, I was like right there on the spot in a live concert. Um, but in this story inspired me to do it. So, um, Gandhi, some people don't know this about Gandhi, but Gandhi, before he came, became famous as, as Gandhi, the man who changed an entire nation and thus inspired the world in his process, he was a lawyer. Uh, Gandhi started out as a lawyer in England, um, and he was not a very good lawyer. Uh, on his first case, 
he uh, was so terrified of speaking in public that he fled the courtroom and his assistant had to close for him. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Gandhi, the guy who spoke before tens of thousands of people who spoke so profoundly that he moved an entire nation because of his stand in front of them and speaking. This guy started out terrified. (laughs) What? You kidding me? So on his second case, he goes to his client the night before says, listen, I have to give you all of your money back. I cannot represent you because I am terrified of speaking in public. So we refunded all the money. All right, so Gandhi eventually just crashes in England as a lawyer. He moves to South Africa. And um, in South Africa, he sees that his countrymen, the people of India, were horribly oppressed. And in that moment, seeing that, Gandhi decided that he was going to be up to the business of peace in India. Nobody anointed this on him. Nobody asked him. Nobody gave him permission. Gandhi took on for himself responsibility for peace for an entire country. Now, when you represent a billion people then sharing your idea in front of 10,000 people is no big deal. Like it doesn't even show up on your radar because you're up to something bigger. You know, those 10,000 people can, can spit at you and sneer at you and yell at you and say you're not good enough and whatever, whatever, whatever. You don't care because you're up to something bigger. Okay. So here I am sitting on stage and my solo's coming up, the orchestra's playing away, and I'm looking at my music, and I realize, here it comes. I, I'm got, I gotta play solo again, and I start to get nervous. And oh my God, I just hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And then I stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. What if I take on something bigger? And in that moment, I realized that I had been up to small potatoes. For my music career before that, I was trying to play all the notes right. I was trying to do my best. I was trying to play it perfectly. I was trying to look good. I was I was on some subconscious level wanting to play things perfectly and because of that earn your love and admiration. Like like it's a trade. Hey, if I do a horse and pony show, will you then like me? Kind of thing. But I have no control over whether or not you like me. And perfection doesn't exist. It, it was this catch-22. Well, here's what made it worse, is that because of that trade, if I'm perfect, will you give me approval kind of trade, I end up withholding from myself the very ingredient that's needed to succeed. It would be like telling your kids, oh, you're not making good grades. Well, We're just going to cut out eating and sleeping until your grades improve. Like, I mean, you can't cut out the the basic ingredients and expect yourself to succeed. It doesn't work that way. So the solo's coming up. I'm like, I'm not going through this again. I'm going to do something different this time. I said, what does this represent? And I looked at the solo. And for me, I I, I realized that it had to do with the felt experience of being loved. That, that's what that passage of music was about for me. That was my interpretation. And I decided in that moment 
that for however long I had to play the solo, I was going to take a stand for what was possible in my audience's life, that they would have the felt experience of love because I said so. I was going to stand for that possibility. I gave up looking good, trying to play all the notes right, being perfect. I gave up that withholding game and stood for what was possible. Now, this is the first time I had tried this. So every single note that came by, my brain went, whoa, man, you're about to screw that note up. Whoa, hold on. What if you mess this note up? Hey, you know, there's a harder note coming up. You could mess that note up. My brain was doing that game because that's what it had done for so many years. But with every note, I recommitted myself. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I mess a note up because that's not the business I'm in. I'm in the business of standing for what's possible in my audience's life. And with every single note, I recommitted myself to why I was doing it, for what was possible in their life. I played better than I had ever played, at least during solo time. Um, I felt better than I had ever felt. And when it was over, couldn't wait to do it again. Now, let me give you an example of this technique not being just a fluke that worked for me. I was backstage at a TEDx conference, and uh, one of the speakers is is just getting nervous as can be. That whole like turn white in the face, want to throw up. Yep. Uh, by the way, you should never feel bad about this. Uh, the, Henry Fonda, um, he he was our parents' generation, or actually maybe even our grandparents' generation. Um, Henry Fonda was a famous actor, and even at seventy-five years old, when he would go on stage to do theater roles, he would still throw up. Before he went on stage, seven five and hit, you know, he's got decades of experience doing this and he's still throwing up. All right, so this lady's backstage and she is just turning white, about to pass out, and she's hyperventilating, and man, she's just stressed out of her head. Oh my gosh, it is awful. Now, of course, the normal advice doesn't work. Imagine the audience in their underwear, uh, pretend that they don't exist. We don't worry about it, don't think about it, just do your best. But man, that's crap, it doesn't work. So this, this, is what, this is what I say. I say, hey, um, in your talk, why is it important to you to give this talk? Why? That's part of getting a bigger picture going. And she says, when this event happened in my life, I felt delighted. I say, great. And uh, what do you want your audience to feel while you're talking? She goes, well, I want them to feel delighted. Now, she's still in that panic state, right? Because in her brain... She's withholding what she needs, the very ingredients and building blocks that she needs to do well in that situation and to succeed. She's withholding it until this imaginary world called perfection exists, and then she'll give herself permission to feel that way. Um, Good Lord, no, that doesn't work. So um, I say, would you be willing to give yourself permission to feel delighted now. Like she hasn't even given her talk yet. And up until this moment, her mind was, if I give the perfect talk, then I will let myself feel delighted. Then I'll let myself feel happy. So no, no, no. What if you just gave yourself permission for no reason at all to feel delighted now? Huge smile comes over her face. Now she's speaking from a place of being empowered and she's sharing something that actually matters, an emotion with her audience. Totally transform her talk. So yes, give yourself 
the feeling that you're withholding and wanting them to have. Give yourself permission to have it now. Take on something bigger than getting all the notes right or all the words right in your speech. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, something that I just want to touch upon that is the do have be thought process. Um, or have to be, sorry. For a lot of people I live, I, especially I did for a while, which was if I have this thing, then I can do this other thing and then I can be happy. Rather than going, I can be happy and then I can go do a thing and then I can have the thing I want. Just flipping it around changes the entire energy run through it. It's such a powerful little idea. Totally changes. Yeah, that, that's a great, very simple, man, see, look how much time you saved. I should have just said that. <laughs> to be honest, you need the story behind it sometimes because it like it links into people's brains. That's one of the reasons why I talk about parables so much because they're so powerful. Um, like one of the examples I have for me personally is like when when you were saying about it, like if you have to like think about I need to make $10,000 this month um, and you're like freaking out and if you're like, if you're anything like me, you think, okay, if I have to make a hundred grand this month, then you'll freak out some more. But the funny thing about your brain is the moment you think about a hundred grand, your brain goes, okay, how do I do this? And if you're one of those people that's listening to the show right now, kind of going, okay, I do want to make a hundred grand, but I need to make 10. How do I do it? And I need to think of a hundred. Well, quite simple. Get a notepad and pen. Just write down the top of the page. Um, methods I could make a hundred grand in 30 days underline it and then you just write 10 days of $10,000 or whatever it is and then you just outline it underneath and go okay why do I want this how do I have to feel like how do I have to feel and be um, so it's basically you go how do I have to be how do I have to feel or to feel like to have and then kind of like work from that position of I'm feeling good these are the actions I need to take and I'll get the result I want even if it's just $10,000 trust me you'll You'll get there. You knock it out of the ballpark and it's such a really simple way of thinking. Um, something else I was going to jump across and ask you about is that you do this thing called the mind scan. And yes, you, mentioned it during our, you mentioned it during our call when we first started speaking. I really didn't get to ask you about that. So tell me a little bit more about the mind scan stuff. What the hell are you on about? The mind scan, <laughs> Nobel nominated. Um, the mind scan provides the information that causes my clients to double their income in the first year by purposely working less hours. And one of the reasons the MindScan is able to provide that kind of information is that it trains them and shows them how to think at a higher level. Um, by thinking at a higher level, taking on something bigger, um, your brain is more efficient, you're thinking of more innovative solutions. Um, and I think it's possible, since we started off talking about music, uh, that music uh, might be a wonderful um, bridge into the mind scan and the value of it uh, for business owners and leaders. When you're engaged in making music, you are using more of your brain than any other time. Um, whether you're clapping your hands or singing to the radio as you're driving down the road, you're using more of your brain. Now, this contrasts with uh, athletic behavior where the better your body's performing athletically, the less of your brain you're using. Your body enters kind of a quiet meditative state because your brain is soaking up glucose that should be going to the muscles. Well, in music, it's the opposite. Firework display, this is well-documented with MRI studies. And one of the things about music is that your brain is having to process um, art, creativity, storytelling, meaning, purpose, beauty, 
At the same time, it's having to practice logic and prediction and math and rhythm and pattern. So it's it's operating both ways of thinking at the same time. And in a musician, if you were to hold their brain in your hands, you would be able to see, just with your eye, you don't need a microscope for this, you'll be able to see uh, structural differences in the brain because the brain has had to rewire itself in order to process both halves at the same time. There's a little network of fibers called the corpus callosum that connects both halves. And in a musician, that network is visibly thicker uh, just to handle the bandwidth of every day in, day out, you know, hours and hours practicing this art called music. Well, in business, what happens is we tend to have something we're good at um, and we view the world through that lens, whether with the lens of how do people feel and valuing that or getting things done, valuing productivity um, or uh, planning. Uh, and, and when we start to only view the world through that one lens, it would be like trying to play music with half of your brain. Um, the, the beauty comes from both halves being gently held. The mind scan, uh, what it does uh, is prints up a graph. It prints up this blueprint of your thinking patterns. And because we have that on paper, the way it's displayed, it allows us to see where your next breakthrough is. Now, there's a couple things to maybe help explain why it's important that we have this breakthrough map. Uh, in your business, whether um, you're a you know, real estate agent or mortgage broker or whatever you're doing in your business, if you keep hitting the same obstacles, like don't have enough time or don't have enough money, if you keep doing that, it's not because you're not trying hard enough. As a matter of fact, there's three truths about that. Number one, you are trying. You're doing everything you know to do. My goodness, if there was something else you could do, you'd be doing it. Number two, everything that you're trying totally makes sense to do. It seems like a good idea. Number three, what that means is a breakthrough in your situation. The thing that will completely catapult you into the next space, total transformation breakthrough, that will at first sound like a bad idea. It will not make sense to you. If it did make sense, you would already be doing it. And the illustration there is when you were five years old uh, or however old you were when you learned how to ride a bicycle, um, you they just took the training wheels off. You didn't quite have it yet. You're a little wobbly. Weren't sure, you know, oh man, what's going on? You didn't want to fall and get hurt. You, you had some fear. And uh, in that moment, your crazy Aunt Jenny comes by with some advice. And crazy Aunt Jenny says, what you need to do is go faster. Because when you go faster, it's easier to balance. And you think, oh, my word, that could be the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Uh, If I can't balance going slow, what the heck? That's just going to make it worse. It didn't make sense. But and then one day you accidentally went faster you felt balance, and once you felt it, no explanation was needed anymore. So your breakthrough didn't make sense. It was something you had to feel. Okay, now, right before we get to the blueprint map and the importance of your thinking patterns and the blind spots in your thinking patterns, if you're driving your car and you back into something, the only reason you would ever back into something was because you didn't see it. 
And if you can't see it, you can't avoid it. So if you keep hitting the same obstacle, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, relationships isn't going the same way, trying harder isn't going to fix it. You have to think from a different perspective. And we got to find where that wire is crossed in your mind. So with the MindScan, uh, working with my clients, we're able to print up a graph of their thinking patterns. And because of that graph, we can see right away where their next business breakthrough is so they can level up. Um, that's a little bit of the work that I do with the MindScan. So that's pretty awesome. So I want to backtrack for a second, especially because it comes down to music, because I'm 28, I'm almost 29, and I've been trying, and I say trying because I failed miserably at doing this and I'm still going, on learning the piano. Which, by the way, one of the hardest instruments ever. I'm surprised so many people can play it well. Like, I'm like, how? How, how do you do this? What what trickery is this of your mind? Um, but it's a really true, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to know that you have to like have the light, right and left sides of the brain completely balanced and there is something that you need to build up as a muscle uh, and the neural pathway in order to get to work, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So my thought process is you could actually use the exact same stuff uh, on, say, business as you can in learning, a, learning how to play, say, the piano or the viola. It all takes part of balance. So if you're in business or you're going through something, as you said, you have to look at what, in, what, instead of pushing forward in the same way, rather look for a counterintuitive method to see if it works. So... Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Also, this is also my brain trying to go, yeah, you really need to learn how to play piano again because you suck. <laughs> I'm not sure why, because my brain's like that. Um, there is something that might help with the, the whole piano. Go for it. If I, if I, if I could share that. Yeah, um, I, I, used to, I used to teach uh, music. I, I did it for a living many, many years. And something I noticed with the students that would come through. Uh, there were students who came through that, that loved music and wanted to be in music, but playing the violin was absolute misery. And I just shared a distinction. And the distinction was they loved music, but they didn't love the violin. And the problem is when there's a breakdown, we conflate the two. We say, because you don't enjoy this instrument, you must not also enjoy the art. So, like, there's something wrong with you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Some students would come in, and they loved music, and they loved the violin, but they didn't love me. And, and again, those are three distinctions. But if we conflate them, it creates a, a situation that does, doesn't exist. Some students would come in because their parents were making them. And... And that's not going well. It's just a breakdown. And, and through that course of those frustrations and dealing with students and parents and instruments and all that, um, I learned that there are three different things going on. Is this the right music for you? You know, or classical or jazz or rock or contemporary or, you know, whatever. Uh, is this the right instrument for you? Guitar, piano, violin, trumpet, accordion, whatever. And is this the right teacher for you? Um, do you need to learn watching YouTube videos? Do you need to learn with a teacher sitting next to you demonstrating? Do you need to learn by just trying it out on your own? Do you need to learn by getting together with a group of friends and jamming? Um, is this the right method for you to learn? When all three of those line up, 
And, and by the way, you can't like force those. You can't choose for somebody else what they should be. That individual has to choose them for themselves. When they do line up, then everything clicks. Uh, it just works like crazy. I'm, I'm like, it works so well. And, and you find yourself being compelled, like it's a mental illness. You're compelled to practice. You can't not do it because you love it so much. I've had kids who wouldn't practice violin, wouldn't practice violin, wouldn't practice violin. Lessons are just horrible. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to conflate those, those three different things and start, well, you know, this is a bad kid or, you know, it's an immature kid or this kid sucks or whatever. No, it's just that we didn't have the right three things for them. And among that included, I wasn't the right teacher and the violin wasn't the right instrument. They're over at their friend's house one day and uh, friend's got a guitar. They pick up the guitar, start picking on it. Next thing you know, they can't put it down and they spend the next three years of high school staying up till three and four in the morning because they love practicing guitar so much. Their parents are like, yeah, go to sleep, go to sleep. They leave high school, get a full ride scholarship to the best Ivy League music school in the nation because they had the three pillars that lined up for them. So if, if you find yourself internally frustrated with, with music, like I feel like I should practice, I wanna practice, ah, oh, but I don't, try some other instruments, try some other teaching methods, and you could unlock a breakthrough where you feel just internally motivated to do it. That is amazing. See, I love that. I love that. And that same goes for business. You might actually be beating your head against the wall, but you might have the right mentor system or whatever it is. You might be heavily into, like for me, I'll give you guys an example. Uh, I had written sales copy for so long that it became a part of who I was. And then by the time this interview comes out, it should all be taken care of. I realized I didn't want to write for clients anymore. I actually love consulting for clients. That's my favorite thing. I love getting on the phone and just kind of going, bam, there it is. There's the answer. It's verbalized. It's all open. Let's go with it. Um, and the crazy thing about it is the moment I switched over to doing stuff like that and following the creative aspects of just being a writer. Like, I don't want to write copy for other people. I wrote copy for me. Um and I just used what I already had in my backlog to help other people out, you know, make sure there was a conversion, didn't have to reinvent the wheel and stuff like that. Um, as we spoke about on Bob's selling show. Uh, so go back and listen to that. But yeah, essentially I'm getting it is that once you find that roadblock, um, you'll find there's other avenues. You might be like for me, I'm realizing I'm more of a blogger and podcaster. I do like vlogging as well. So that's kind of my area of expertise. Other people I work with are affiliate managers, product salespeople, uh, launch guys. Everyone has their own little thing that they make a lot of money with. It's just that you've got to keep working through and find it and sometimes changing. Uh, the destination may be the same, but the strategy to get there needs to change uh, if you find yourself beating your head against the wall like I did for a long time. Um, so one of my questions I really, really do want to ask you more than anything, dude, um, is what is the actual difference? And it is one of, the intro one of the questions you ask quite a lot. So I kind of want you to summarize this for me. Um, and that is, what is the difference between mindset and attitude? personally, in your opinion? In, in my opinion, mindset is a strategy. It's a system. Uh, it's, it's a method. Uh, mindset is kind of a combination of logic and emotion. There's back to both halves of the brain. Um, personality is sort of uh, a wish, a desire. Um, personality is kind of like optimism or pessimism. Um, Self-esteem, people lump into personality. 
interesting about self-esteem, uh, I can't remember the doctor's name, but he spent about 20 years tracking individuals um, to get data on self-esteem. Wait, and, wasn't this uh, Nathan something, or was it Dr. Maxwell Maltz? Uh, Maxwell Maltz, I love. Um, it wasn't him. Psycho-cybernetics, but it was not Maxwell Maltz. It wasn't. Um, he might have referred to this. Nathan Brandon, maybe. No, Nathaniel Brandon. Could could be, could be. I'll have to go back and find my notes when I was doing that research. Um, so he, he tracked, you know, all these all these people, and and did a, a legit a legit psychology study with all the parameters you need. And and when all the data came in and it got crunched, he was totally deflated, um, because what the data showed is there's no correspondence between self-esteem and success in life. Um, there, there, there's no connection. There, there's people that, that don't feel good enough that are doing very good in business or very good in relationships or very good in grades at school. There's people that feel great about themselves and suck at business and suck at grades at school and suck at relationships. Like there, There's just no connection. And for me, personality, personality is like that. Uh, personality is um, kind of like the word... Uh, Hope. Um, hope is a very dangerous word. Um, hope is a word that we use to deceive ourselves. Um, if you think uh, during political season um, in, in your town and listen to the people who talk about their hope for the outcome of the election and their hope for the party that they want to, to win. You know, I sure hope this person wins. Man, I sure hope things turn around. Boy, I sure hope. What that tells you is they aren't committed they're not in action. Um, they're not being true to themselves. Now, let's take the people that are on the front lines, like they are volunteering with their political party. Um, they're working in the office. They're spending their, their days and nights and, and working behind the scenes. They're doing everything they can possibly do to serve that cause. You will never hear them use the word hope. Why? They are too busy actually doing things. And when we use the word hope, it sounds like, positive thinking and then our society certainly encourages positive thinking it sounds like believing in yourself and our society certainly encourages believing in yourself man i sure hope i lose weight this year how about you get your ass out of the house and start exercising i mean the people that are actually engaged in exercise don't say i sure hope i lose weight man i sure hope this works um, and for me, personality is kind of like the word hope. It, it's a, it's a, an optimism that doesn't translate into results. Uh, mindset is the difference between trying to raise $1,000 in a month or trying to raise $10,000 in a month. When you start to take on that bigger problem, it shifts the level that you're thinking on. It shifts the resourcefulness that you're coming up with. Uh, mindset, for example, would be what we talked about with performance anxiety. When you begin to think at a higher level, then you have access to different resources. So you're able to perform your best under pressure just because you're thinking of solving a bigger problem. See, I love that. Okay, so now comes like one of my favorite questions, obviously, on the show. Um, and that is, if you have to pick three books that were super influential and impacted you, and there are parameters, so, let me, so hold on here, uh, and two of them had to be nonfiction books, but the third had to either be a fictional book or a movie that impacted you, what would they be? Okay, so uh, books. Um, 
Definitely at the top of my list are two books. I can do this very – oh, my God. Ah, only two. Jeez, there's so many. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Um, I'm going to go with, for sure, The War of Art by Stephen, by Stephen Pressfield. Great book. Love that book. Definitely go for The War of Art. Um, I I wanted to say Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, but I'm not. My second book choice is going to be The Four Agreements. Ooh, Don Ruiz. Don Ruiz is my second choice, The Four Agreements. And then for fiction, um, my my fiction story would be a movie, an old movie called uh, Rob Roy. Rob Ooh. Roy came out a little bit before Braveheart. Um, it was a similar story uh, set in a similar part of the world with similar challenges. And uh, there was something about the way... Liam Neeson basically was clan head, wasn't he? That was the whole thing about like the way he conducted himself. Yes, yeah. If that's, if that's the movie I'm thinking of, Feudal Systems, based in Ireland, the MacGregor clan. Yes, yes. Holy shit, I love my memory sometimes. It comes up with like, the weirdest, loveliest thing. <laughs> that's amazing that, that you share that con- connection. You know the movie I was talking about. Yeah, I was like, I, because I, I think someone mentioned it to me a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I gotta go watch this. Might yeah. have been you. I don't even remember. It could have been you that you told me. It's uh, it's one of those insane little fun, fun things. So yeah, wh- why that particular movie for you? Uh, the way Rob Roy's character was developed, um, it developed in this kind of uh, perseverance at all costs, um, resourcefulness at all costs, always find a way, keep finding a way, find another way. And something about that spoke to me, just th- this concept of no matter what, find another way. Um, and just, I mean, because, you know, in life, we don't have problems. The only time we have problems are when we've given up learning. When we've given up growing, when we've given up developing new skills, when we've given up finding solutions. At that point, we have problems. We say, oh, you don't understand. I have problems. But until that point, we say, I have a challenge. I'm learning something new. You know, I'm I'm pressing through this. I'm I'm developing some skills. I've got to learn some things. And so Rob Roy, I thought, did a great job of highlighting that. I love that, dude. That's pretty cool. So my next question, I guess, really is, so when you've had these situations in life, and I'm really interesting to see, interested to see how you answer this. When you had those points in your life where the confidence was just knocked out of you, like actually the rug was pulled out of you and someone sucker punched you in the face and you ended up flat on your back. My question is, what did you do to get back up? How did you do that? All right. Um, I have three stories about sucker punch. Back in the day, when I would have everything knocked out of me, um, business deals didn't come through, ran out of money, ran out of time, whatever. It just wasn't working, and I was getting disillusioned. And back in the day, I would do it the old-fashioned way, which was to work harder and faster, to try harder. Um, And you end up with the same results. Um, and the same discouragement, only worse, because then you have more effort producing the same results. Um, and that, that, that just doesn't work. And then the seasons of life would change, and I would be back in a new season, and I wouldn't think about it anymore. 
So in that case, the season changed, um, but I was kind of like a victim. I was a passenger in the ship. I didn't have control over it. Okay, and then the second story of when things would knock me down is I was auditioning for the symphony, um, and I was auditioning for assistant principal. Um, so when you take a, a symphony audition, you, you do your preparation. And in my case, I would prepare four to five hours a day of practice. And I would do this for about three or four months. And then you go audition and your audition might last five minutes. So I, I, I go through this I audition the the committee this is i mean this is literally what they said i'm not paraphrasing i'm not like stretching this these are their actual words when i left the audition the committee's response to my audition was this we don't think you're good enough now for most people that would be like the death of them that would be just the death knell forget it it's over because our subconscious goes through life with the fear of not being good enough, being found out as a fraud, not being approved by others. And, yeah. and we will do anything to avoid that. So here I am actually finding out that they literally did not think I was good enough. However, I had recently gone through some training that showed me other viewpoints. And this is, a, I hate to keep mentioning it up, it's just been such a life-changing experience, the mind scan, which mm -hmm. teaches you how to have that breakthrough in your thinking. Um, so when you're a kid at the fair and um, you go to the roller coaster and there's that red line on the sign that says, you have to be this tall to ride the ride. Yeah. When you're a kid, you're like, oh, I can't ride the ride. And your brain starts to make up all these stories about why you can't ride the ride and why you're not good enough because you're not tall. But as an adult, you look at that, you're like, no, it, it has nothing to do with your worth as a person. It's, it's a practical safety consideration. If you're not that tall, you'll slip out and die. It's, it's has nothing to do with your worth or value as a person. Furthermore, you're going to keep growing and next year you will be tall enough. Right? So that's where I was with the symphony. It wasn't a reflection of my worth as a person. It was just simply, here's the red line on the sign. You got to be this tall to ride the ride. You want on the orchestra, you got to play on this level. So I just go back to working. And there's no need to make up a story about it. That's the thing with suffering. Suffering comes from story. So I didn't put a story on it. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I practiced all this time. It didn't work out. No, no, I just went back to work because I will keep growing and eventually I'll be that high. All right, third story. When I get the wind knocked out of me, um, when I go through a day where I'm, or a week or whatever, where I'm just like totally freaking depressed um, and, and lose all motivation and, and uh, business deals are going bad or whatever, I had a concussion um, last year, was totally knocked out. And the recovery for the, from that concussion taught me an awful lot about my stories of reality and the brain. Um, thoughts and feelings uh, and perceptions of reality are in fact just chemicals floating through the head and when you change the chemicals you change the thoughts um, you know you, you, you wake up and, and you're tired and you don't want to talk to anybody you have a cup of coffee suddenly you want to talk to everybody um, change the chemicals change the thoughts 
So the first step is do not believe everything you think. The second step is change your chemistry. So now when I get in a total funk, you know, I'm depressed, uh, maybe my brain still hasn't finished healing from the concussion, uh, I, I just think, I, I don't think things are going well, I remind myself that it's not true that I'm depressed and it's not true that things aren't going well. All that is is a reflection of the chemical state in my brain at the time that is looking for evidence to support why things aren't going well. But there is an equal number of things that are going very well. And I cannot think my way out of this situation. I have to change my chemistry. So what do I do? I go to the gym. Because going to the gym physically rewires my brain. It changes the chemistry in there. And with new chemistry, I now have new thoughts. My brain is now looking for new solutions and seeing new evidence to support an alternative. That is awesome. I love that. I love the way that your brain works on that because it does, it changes everything. And exercise is one of the best ways to actually shift that around. And isn't it funny how exercise and music are so linked together as uh, key ways of shifting the brain? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am. I am. I was just. I was also thinking that practicing music also does wonders for my brain when I'm in a funk. Oh yeah, no. But I just meant like, as in, if you're working out, you also have music playing in the background, and that's a state change. So it's a like working out on its own is one state change. Working out with music is two state changes, which makes it easier to actually switch over, which is um, switch over the mood. It's really, it's really powerful. Yes, agreed. The way it works. Now, so just so everyone knows, they can actually head on over to mindsetperformance.com. I mean, they can go through MindScan. Like, that's that's something they can do, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're a business owner or a, a leader or you're just tired of life going a certain way um, and you want to break through, you want to level up, uh, the MindScan will do it. And there is a way you can get access to it through my website. Um, and this is something for... Uh, high performers. Um, got got a financial planner in the New England area. He's making four hundred thousand a year. Uh, obviously, at that level, what are you going to tell him he hasn't already heard of? Uh, but he takes the mind scan, sees a couple blind spots, and how he had his business set up. Remember, blind spots. If you can't see it, you can't avoid it. And he made those changes, tripled his income in eighteen months. Went from four hundred thousand to one point two million. Um, so this is uh, unbelievably effective for people that are already performing high. I've got a lot of like commercial real estate agents that are doing very, very well and are now doing even better because of it. That being said, the mind scan is not for everyone. And I don't want to waste your time if it's uh, not a good fit for you. Um, but I'd be happy to share it with you. Uh, there is a, a link on my site, uh, mindsetperformance.co, and uh, you could learn a little bit more about the mind scan. Uh, I've got a short little uh, application. You can fill that out, and uh, we'll find out if it's a good fit for you. And if it is, um, I'd be happy to send you a link, give you access to it, and just see what's available in your thinking patterns. That's pretty awesome. I love that. So, guys, go check it out. Also, just check out mindsetperformance.co. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Like, Jared's really up-leveling a lot of stuff on there over time. And by the time the show comes out and stuff, um, you'll see, I reckon, quite a bit of change on there. Like, a, little, a lot of positive change. But, Jared, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, my friend. Yes, sir. 
And uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Guys, go check out mindsetperformance.co. Links will be in the description as always and on the site. And again, as always, subscribe, share, and uh, comment below because and leave us a review because that always helps. Dude, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. See you guys in the next episode. Bye.